Acts chapter 2, we're at the end. So far we've seen uh, in Luke's account of what, what happened when the church was born. Um, Jesus made a promise that they would receive power uh, because the Holy Spirit of God, uh, like God himself, would dwell within them and empower them. And then they would be witnesses for him, um, that they would tell everyone about how uh, gracious and good he is uh, in their city of Jerusalem, and then it would just work its way out all the way to the ends of the earth, uh, not only geographically but also in a in a linear sense like in a timeline sense um, that 's really why we are here today uh, is because it didn 't stay in Jerusalem, it worked its way out and so in the beginning of acts they uh, we see Jesus making that promise, and then the rest of the whole book basically just describes how that all played out in front of everyone and um, in chapter two, the the Spirit of God fills them, uh, fills the believers that were there. There were about 120 of them, and they began to to worship and give thanks to God and praise to God. And they uh, were doing so in a in a different language than the one they grew up speaking. Uh, instead of it being in Aramaic, it was in another language. And uh, one of the languages of the people who were gathered in Jerusalem at the time for a festival. So people had traveled from all over that part of the world. To come to Jerusalem on this uh, pilgrimage that the Jewish faithful would make. And they get there and there are people who should not be speaking their native tongue or worshiping God in their native language. And they were stunned. Uh, They didn't understand how these uneducated, unimpressive Galileans would be able to know their language. And they were real confused. And so Peter uh, got up and he explained everything that was going on to them. And he did so in such a way that was... Uh, just this phenomenal engagement of people who uh, the Spirit had been getting ready to hear exactly what was going on. The, the Lord had gone before him and prepped them and empowered him to give him the words. And he beautifully uh, lays out the gospel for them. And um, that the church that day went from 120 people to 3,000 people. So they went from being a very normal-sized church to being a mega church in one sermon. Like it was, boom, there it is. And, uh, and they baptized them all in that day. And uh, I read somewhere this week that uh, if, the, if the 12 apostles were the ones doing the baptizing, if they were the ones that were, um, it wasn't like anybody can baptize, it was like the apostles were doing it, which is probably what happened, it would take, uh, they'd have to do 42 an hour each to baptize 3,000 people in a day. So they were getting after it. Baptizing people, they didn't like us. They didn't take time. To, What's your story and where are you from? And I you know, was like dunk, 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 you know. And so they were rolling through there, baptized them all, and then we get to this passage that um, that really just it just describes what it was like. Um, so Luke uh, Luke went around and gathered all these eyewitness accounts, and he's compiled this together. And this paragraph is like a it's like a description of like the the consistent themes and things that he was hearing about as he must have talked to these eyewitnesses. Um, this, this weekend, I, um, I got to be a part of a, a college conference in Alexandria and got to do a breakout session on the fruit of the Spirit. And, and, and each session was like, look, there's it's one Spirit uh, with these nine different characteristics. You know, It's not fruits of the Spirit, it's fruit of the Spirit. There's one Spirit that when manifested, these are the different descriptions that happen. 
And so that's kind of what we see here in a similar sense. There's, it's this one church, this one uh, group of believers, these 3,000 believers that are being described in all these kinds of ways. And uh, when you read it, you know, you're like, well, no wonder, no wonder people were getting saved every single day. No wonder, no wonder they were so effective. No wonder um, we look at them and admire them and say we want to we imitate that because it's just a very powerful thing that's described here. Um, so let's, let's read this together. Um, and just, just so we can all be on the same page, uh, so we're going to start in verse 42. Um, when it says they, and like all of them, and all, that inclusive language, it's not talking about the apostles. It's not talking about that 120. It's talking about all the 3,000 that had just been baptized. So this isn't a description of the leadership or the, the like, quote-unquote, elite Christians or whatever. This is the megachurch that did this, all right? Uh, and probably this, um, I know, that, like, you might be wondering, well, didn't they all go home afterward? They probably did eventually all go home. But uh, as long as it took them to get to Jerusalem, they would usually, like, set up camp there for a while, you know? So this is... Yeah, this is how they were living, and maybe God was ready. Maybe maybe God was like, "Once you live together like this for a little while, and then I'll send you back where you came from, and you can live like that there." And maybe that's okay. All right, verse forty-two. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received, uh, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." Uh, so, of course, you know, we, we read that and we're like, I want to be a part of that. Um, and I would argue that in some ways you are a part of that. Um, that, that I think that, that this, like these ideas, um, God has been shaping our congregation into this kind of stuff. Uh, for not, well, more than nine years, because we go back further than that. That's another story. Um, I think he's been doing this among us for a long time, which is not to say that, like, that also describes us to a T. All right, so not to a T, but we also can't, we can't sit here and say, man, we are, like, 5,000 miles away from being that, described that way. I think here in this ninth year, we have, to, we have to be able to acknowledge, like, God has done some of this among us, and to him be the glory. And we have to hope that he would continue to refine and grow us and that we would cooperate with him in those efforts going forward so that more and more we are looking like him and the outworking of his image, uh, like living daily life, looks like stuff like this. You know? So there's a guy named uh, C. Peter Wagner who wrote a commentary and he pulls out like six, six qualities, six like, um, descriptions that, uh, from this paragraph and I just basically was like, I like that list, I'm going to borrow that list. So this is, these are his six things. Um, these are qualities that, that God is, has done in us, that he's formed in us, that he is also going to continue to form in us, uh, that we need to embrace and really be like, okay, how, 
what's my role in making the ring look like that more and more and more? Okay, six things. Um, the, the first one, verse 42, says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. All right? So, um, the, the first point, the first characteristic he points out is, is that learning, learning was a major part of the New Testament church. Like they were, they were hungry for it. They were humble. They were teachable. They were, uh, they were, uh, they were Jewish. <laughs> and now they're like, okay, now, so if Jesus is the Messiah, like Peter says, and the, which they believed, and they place their faith in him, they're like, okay, so how do I completely change my entire perspective? How do I go from uh, praying for a Messiah uh, my entire life, and for generations we prayed for this Messiah, how do I go from please send the Messiah to realizing that he's already come and lived and died and ascended and now lives inside of me? How do I, how do, I do that? And so they're craving this learning to the point where Luke, in all of his eyewitness accounts, gathers this together and says they were devoted to what the apostles were teaching. Um, and it obviously, by the rest of the paragraph, was not just the content. They weren't just like, oh, that's interesting. These are interesting facts I'm learning. They were learning what Christ taught, and then they were actually going and doing the things that Jesus said to do. Uh, so what was the apostles' teaching? Well, we're going to throw uh, some maybe familiar verses on the screen. Um, one would be from Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, um, where Jesus uh, gives this thing we call the Great Commission. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So we, they just baptized 3,000 people from different nations. Okay, So maybe they're like, okay, Great Commission phase one, done. Okay, check that box. And then the next thing he says is then teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's probably what they were teaching them now. They're like, okay, you've been baptized into Christ. Now we need to, now let's teach you everything that he taught us. Let's teach you about grace. Let's teach you about compassion. Let's treat you about uh, the war that's going on inside of us. Uh, between the spirit and the flesh. Let's, let's, let's teach you about the kingdom of God. And that's what Luke says in Acts chapter 1, verse uh, 4. He says this, I'm uh, sorry, in 3. Um, talking about Jesus here, he said, So Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So they went through a 40-day um, stretch of teaching about the kingdom of God. Like you can, we can look at that verse and say, okay, so for 40 days he just taught them about the kingdom. So probably, when it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, these are the things that are being, were being taught to them. It was kingdom, 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 kingdom. So what happens in the kingdom? Well, in the kingdom, uh, the king is central. You know? King is the focus. The kingdom of God, it's all about the king. So we see worship and we see prayer and we see those kinds of things. And in the kingdom of God, all the citizens of the kingdom take care of each other. So no one should be hungry, no one should go without, you know, those kind of things. And so what do we see them doing? We see them selling their possessions and making sure everybody had a need. Um, 
The kingdom of God is open to everyone. So what do we see happening? We see every day people coming into the congregation. You know? So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, but not just to gain information. It was the forming of a lifestyle among them. I've seen this happen here through our church family. Uh, it's been an intentional thing from the beginning that the Bible be very central to things. That, um, that as we gather together, we do so and we, we learn. You know, we, um, you, we put the teaching of the word in, in the center even of the, of the set list on Sundays. You know, that there's a centrality there that our community groups... Um, we don't just get together and be like, so how is everybody doing? Everybody doing okay? What can we, you know, anybody having a bad, bad week? You know, that kind of stuff. Okay, cool. Um, so, you know, let's do something else then. You know, good information, good list or whatever. Let's pray and go home. Um, we open the Bible together. And some people, you know, I don't know, may not like that very much. But we are people that are devoted to the Scriptures because it is a deep conviction that through the Scriptures, God reveals uh, everything that we need to know about Him and how He works and everything that we need to know about life and godliness because Jesus draws us to Himself through the Scriptures and He teaches us through the Scriptures and He encourages us and He corrects us and He warns us and He uh, pushes us forward through that. And so um, we've tried to do that in our programming here as a church and I, th- I think it makes a difference. And here's, here's one of the ways why I know. I know that our church is, is also devoted to the Apostles' teaching because... I hear this often when people will say, like, yeah, I was listening to this podcast from some other place, or I was watching this TV preacher, or um, most of the time it's like, yeah, I went, I went to church with my parents, or I went to church with some, someone else, or they go to some other church somewhere, and they come back, and they're like, everything was really great, except this one thing, this one thing that they were teaching that I don't think the Bible teaches that. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's pretty cool. I think God has, is, whether you feel this way or not, I feel like, like God has made us into a Scripture-centered group of people. Not above Christ, but Christ through the Scriptures, you know? Because we are learning more and more to spot false doctrine, spot error, and spot why, uh, where identity issues come from, and why the kingdom of God, uh, why Jesus taught that over and over and over as we go throughout the world. And um, the, things that he, the ways that He wants to use the Bible in our lives... Um, he's, it's happening. Now you might be sitting there being like, man, I, like, I don't, I don't read the Bible on my own. You know, I don't know how to like get into the word. You know, I hear people say that, you gotta get into the word. I don't know what that means. And, and we've, you know, we've tried to, uh, we did a whole summer of community groups focused on that, try to equip and train. And, um, one of my hopes is that one day someone will come up and be like, you know, what you do as a preacher is really not that impressive because all you do is just read the Bible and say, this is what it says, you know. Francis Chan said that one time. Said somebody came up to him and was like, "Hey, I can do what you do, because all you do is like read a verse, and then you're like, we have to do that." You know? He said at first his feelings were hurt, but then he was like, "No, that's really all. That, all there is to it, really. You know, it's, yeah, because that's what we do. You get in a community group. What do you do? You read a you read a small text. You go slowly and you pick apart phrases and questions and." Dig into it, look at this word, or this, you know, what does this mean? That's all you do by yourself, and through that, the Spirit speaks, and He transforms, and He changes, and um, regardless of how personally devoted you feel you are at this point in your transformation, I know, I know that God is doing this among us. I see it 
I hear it. Um, and hopefully that is, is, hopefully we're more and more turning the corner into um, feeling more and more like um, competent and aggressive in our own dividing of the word at home and that kind of stuff. So we see that they were hungry to learn. And I really, I think that's where it comes from is that they were humble and they were teachable. And they were probably like, please teach us, please teach us, please teach us. And so if that's our attitude toward the Lord, of like, please just teach me. Any, any, any opportunity I can get to learn, I, need, I have so much to learn, I have so much to learn. And maybe that's the hiccup for some of us, is that we don't really think we have that much to learn. You know? It's like, well, no, I know all that, I just haven't applied it yet. It's like, well, if you haven't applied it, then you don't really know it. Really, you know. You kind of know it, you're starting to know it, but you don't really know it, because otherwise it would, you know. Um, and so I hope that as a congregation in, you know, going forward from year nine on that we can really, um, more and more and more and more say, you know what, you know what, one thing about our church, we, our church is hungry for the spirit to teach us that we can learn from him directly, that we can learn from him indirectly through other people, that we can learn from the Bible, that we can learn in community group, we can learn on Sundays, that we can just learn, 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 um, and never get to the point where we're like, I pretty much know everything there is to know about this Christianity thing. I got the kingdom down. I get that. You know, quit talking about it. Uh, that we would be really hungry the way that they were hungry. I know our situations are different, but man, what, a, what an important quality to have. And one I think God really, uh, really values about churches that, are, that thirst to learn more from him. So that's the first thing, uh, learning. The second thing is... Uh, he just uses the term fellowship, so we'll just use fellowship. But look at, look at 42. It shows up a couple of times. Um, so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and, and the fellowship. So that means like they were, like this was like an each other kind of thing. Um, you look in 44. Uh, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were... They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking breads in their, bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. There's a lot of uh, more than camaraderie and friendship there. What you see described there is what, that's what families do for each other. Or what, what a healthy family does for each other. We see a, a devotion to the family. We see um, this commonality, you know, this, this uh, lack of, like, pos- not po- lack of possessions, but lack of possessiveness about your possessions, you know. It's like, well, I have stuff, but, I mean, what I have is yours, you know, whatever. Um, we see them looking around, and if someone had a need, it's like, hey, we need to meet this need, and, like, they can't really find anybody to help. It's like, well... I could probably go sell my, I don't know what they had, but uh, you know, they, I'll go sell something. I'll walk around my house, and I'll find something that somebody will buy that will um, help me to come away with this amount of money that will then go to meet that need. You know, that's, that's fine. Uh, a willingness, like, like a, an open-handedness with their possessions that was, like, to that degree. You know, they weren't, they didn't hoard. They weren't selfish with their stuff. There wasn't this thing. It was like, hey... It's all God's anyway, right? So if you need something, I'm going to do all I can to meet that need. Um, They were together every day. 
they went to temple every day, so they they continued in the like Jewish traditions and some of those kinds of things. But now they were doing they were worshiping in a way that had completed the Old Testament, and we'll get to that in a second. Um, but there was this camaraderie and there was a togetherness, and so um, the reason why they're able to meet needs as they popped up is because they were always like connected to each other, you know. Um, so if you go six months without seeing somebody, you don't really know that their needs, what their needs are, you know. Um, but if you see someone every day and you're, you know, interacting, that's a healthy thing. And um, so they broke bread in their homes. So this is de- different than the like they were devoted to the breaking of bread. That was communion, um, which they did every every time they got together. But breaking bread in their homes, that's just like that's like oh they ate their meals together, you know. And so it was, there was like a come over for dinner, or if someone was like, what do you, oh, you don't have anything to eat today? Well, just come eat with us, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, this togetherness that was existing. Um, they were committed to each other like a, like a healthy family. Um, that's, what, that's what the new covenant does. God makes strangers into family. He's got 3,000 people who only had one thing in common, which is that they were Jewish. Um, everything else about them was different. Their language was different. Their their customs, their culture, their like everything. The way that the way that they dressed, the way that they lived, everything. They were scattered all around the Mediterranean, and uh, the new covenant in the blood of Christ takes people who are strangers and have nothing in common, and unites them and makes them into a family. And through His power at work, you begin to act like a family because you realize, like, I don't care what you look like, I don't care how you dress, I don't care where you're from, or or. I don't care what your problems are. I don't care what any of that kind of stuff is. Like you're, we are now siblings because of what Christ has done. We have the same father, and we have all been adopted into this family. And so none of us earned our way in. It's just his grace. So if he looks at all of us and he's equally gracious to all of us, then how about we be equally gracious to each other and generous and take care of each other? So whatever you need, let's, let's do this. You know, they were, We see this fellowship among them, and it wasn't just... Uh, it wasn't a club they were a part of. It wasn't anything weird like that. It was they were part of this family. And so what's described is, is a family taking care of each other as life kind of unfolds. And um, I've s- certainly seen that here at the ring. Again, I'm not saying this is 100% across the board. We, like, knock it out of the park. But those of you who were around in 2006... Remember that first year when we were meeting in the gym and we didn't really know what was going on? And we had, like you know, three and a half kids, you know, at the time. And uh, we were, like, trying to figure out how do you do a, a nursery with the... Because somebody was pregnant. That's what I'm talking about. Not that that's half a kid. That's a whole other thing. Shouldn't have said three and a half kids. We had a few kids. Now we have a lot of kids. Um, we didn't know what we're, you know... We just didn't really know what to do. There wasn't anybody really helping us guide it along, and probably because we weren't asking a whole lot. And we were figuring it out, figuring it out, and... Uh, over the years, as, um, as the congregation has grown and matured, and uh, you know, we've had new folks come in, we've had people move away, and we've uh, moved around the city, you know, it's our third place to be, and um, all this is, has happened, and our community groups are, you know, have, have morphed and changed, and um, sometimes you look around, and, and I look around at people, and I'm like, I really think that you... Um, you probably are closer to your church family than your blood family, which probably makes your blood family really angry. But how beautiful that God has taken people that at one time were strangers to you that you did not know, 
and has brought them near in your life, and you've walked through enough stuff to where you're sharing your life with them in the deepest ways possible, um, that he's taken these people and made them like your family. And sometimes your family, you know what, sometimes, like, you know what happens in family? They make you mad. They let you down. They forget about you. Uh, they smother you, you know, they're uh, too involved, you know, those kind of things. That's part of family life. But the thing is, when you're in a family, like, you're, a, you're tied together in a way that you don't break. So Jesus has bonded us together, and he has, we've all been adopted into this family, and he's like, okay, whether you realize this or not, you're all connected to each other like a family. So uh, I want you to live life together and let me form that to where like, you start to feel it too. You start to think that way too. And that has happened. We've, we've been at each other's weddings. We've been at uh, the hospital when each other's babies are born. We've cooked meals and brought them over as meal rotations. We've helped people move. We've, we've been there for funerals. We've been there for, uh, in hospitals that are not as much fun to make the visits as with babies. And, um, we've, we've just, we've been through stuff together and God has fused us together and is fusing us together. And so if, if you don't feel that way, then I, I'm, I'm acknowledging the fact that we are still growing in this. So don't hear me, don't hear me like, uh, Losing sight of that. I know that we still have like, room to grow as a family. But we got to celebrate what God has done. And I really, I, I don't even feel like since we moved here to Grace, that that has like solidified. Not that moving here did it, but that period of time, I feel like the family formation has gotten more and more solid. And, and I really want to, I want to champion um, Megan Kelly and our community group leaders uh, in in giving stellar leadership to that to that family formation happening, um, and if you have not thanked them lately, you need to because I really believe that that apart from that happening, I think we would just be a bunch of strangers that kind of see each other on Sundays and whatever, and that 's kind of it, but I think that 's where that stuff is happening and so um, praise be to God that that he 's brought us this far. And we have every reason to believe that that will just continue uh, in the future going forward. So, um, all right. The third thing. Uh, the third thing that, that Wagner points out is, is worship, just simply worship. Um, it says in verse 46 that they were attending the temple together. Uh, verse 47 that uh, says that praising God... Um, was a part of this communal life. Uh, so there's a, there's a worship uh, aspect to this community that, um, you know, the, the core of that word is, is worth. So in, in all the things that they were doing in their daily lives, they were telling God how much he's worth to them. And sometimes that was, co- that was like organized and corporate. It was at the temple. It was around the table together. It was uh, communion. It was those kinds of things, praising God, which involved the scriptures and involved prayer and it involved song. Um, so 
So some of it was organized, and some of it was like worship just through the way that they were living. So I would say if, if you are willing to go to your house, find something that you need to sell in order to meet the need of someone that's a part of your family, that that is showing God how much he is worth to you also. So I think that those things are worship. Um, so whether it's their lifestyle or whether it's their corporate gatherings, their disciplines, they were constantly... Um, Telling God, showing God exactly how much He is worth to them. And certainly, uh, that has been something here at the ring as well. Um, we, we wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for the fact that um, in 1998, Jim Wallace, who was on staff at Parkview Baptist, wanted to start a worship service for college students. And he said, he said here's what, he came to me and he said, I have this idea, he's like, we're in a college city. We should have college students, and we don't. So I want to start something that will draw them. And uh, he, said, I re- he said, I want you to lead the worship. We'll get somebody to come and preach, and then y'all just kind of run with it. And let's see what happens. And I was like, you might know the story, but I was like, eh, okay. I didn't think it was going to work. I th- was like, nobody's going to drive all the way out there for anything, really. Uh, I thought it was, was going to flop. I, thought it just, I had very little faith and. Um, and truthfully, I was, I was interning with, uh, just in a fantastic situation, also out at Zor, uh, with the youth, youth ministry and stuff. And I was like, why would I leave this to go do this, which is probably going to flop. And, um, but the Lord was in it, and we did it. And uh, most of what we would do on Sunday nights when we gathered together, it was mostly like just singing, you know. Like there was some preaching, but it was, you know, like we were together and we were constantly... Uh, like we were worshiping in song, that was so much of it. And so, as the ring went, like morphed and grew and went through different phases and stuff like that, that's been one thing that's been really, really consistent over all the years. Back from '98 is the is the musical worship and what trusting that when God tells us all throughout the Bible, you need to sing to me, sing to me, sing about me. Um, that there's a reason why he tells us to do that and just to trust him in it. And so we bring ourselves, we gather ourselves together, and uh, yes, the scriptures are central, um, and like the musical part of coming together uh, is there as well. And um, I think you've probably all seen the, uh, the transformation of like our, our worship leaders up here over the years um, as they've matured and, and grown and become more just increasingly effective at leading us and helping us uh, leave, leave behind uh, in some ways what is outside this room. And in other ways, let's drag it in and let's really like lay, it, lay it at the feet of Jesus, you know, those kinds of things. And um, If you have not thanked them lately, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, but the worship of the church um, in uh, the Psalms of Ascent, uh, it's described as like... Like the gathering of the saints is it's like a city that's built where where every every brick has its like strategic place by the builder. You go to Jerusalem and everything it's all these stone walls and everything, but it's like you look at like a like a stone on the wall and you're like, Man, it's almost like that stone was made to fit there. They aren't all cut necessarily, but some of them are just like it's almost like God just made that stone to fit right there. It's perfect everything is just perfect. It's like, yeah, when the when the church gets together, that's what happens. You get a bunch of personalities and gifts and, 
all these different things and people come together and we come into this room and all of our strengths and weaknesses and everywhere we are in life, it's like we all work together and we form this throne room for Jesus. You know? And it's beautiful. It's different every single week because we have different people here every week and how God does that. And I hope that you're blessed by the gathering of the saints through, through the word, through the music, through the prayer, through the fellowship, through all of that. It was important to them. It's always been important to us, and it always will be. And I pray that we would continue to grow in, uh, in this, especially, um, especially in such a distracting day and age. You know, there's just a lot of stuff that's going on around us and in our lives. And even sitting in this room can be super distracting sometimes. Um, and uh, you know, there's we got our phones, and we got you know, this room is not is like distraction city. You know, sometimes and. Uh, Stuff like that, and then um, I, I know from talking with a lot of parents that it's there are times when it's difficult for you to be here and your kids are over there, you know, and you're you know you kind of you're as everybody learns learns to parent, you know, you're kind of um, very much trusting that they're safe and secure and that they're being taken care of well over there and stuff, and um, that's what you know we try to make the nursery and everything as great as it can be so that you can be here and be present and you know, all, all this stuff together and none of this stuff is random. We don't, we don't just do these things because this is a, uh, American tradition. Congregations gather all around the world every single week because it's scriptural and we need it and God blesses it. And so, uh, a lot of gratitude to Chris Rush and the nursery team and all the lead teachers and all you guys that are volunteers and part of that massive rotation and, uh, that's what families do, right? They watch each other's kids. So we watch each other's kids. And we do so so that parents can be here and be present and be a part of the, the songs and the scriptures that God has in mind for us tonight as we build this throne room together. And, um, so yeah, it was important to them. It's important to us. And I hope that that continues to solidify, that we continue to, to value that very deeply. Uh, fourth thing, we see it in verse 42. That they were devoted to prayer. Um, this is a group of people that didn't know how to pray in the way that we pray. Um, they were Jewish, and so when you're Jewish, you pray. Your prayers are the scriptures. Like you, um, you literally recite those as as prayers. They don't. It's not like the kind of prayer that that you and I are um, engaging in now, where you're kind of like you're. It's conversational, and you're going to the Lord, and you're kind of. I don't know, freestyling it, whatever you want to think of it. Uh, when you're Jewish, like you, you memorize the scriptures, and that is what you pray. And so, like, upon their conversion, they had to like learn this whole new thing, this whole new relational connection to God. So they devoted themselves to it. So you have these apostles who went to Jesus, and they said, "Will you teach us how to pray?" And he taught them how to pray. And now they're teaching the masses how to pray. Also, they were learning it. But they were devoted to it. And we see it all throughout the book of Acts as well. Does this happen with the ring? Absolutely. Absolutely. I hope that you can look at your prayer life and see that it has grown. It may not be where you want it to be, but I bet, it, I bet it's not where it was. Because God moves among us, and as we, as we learn about Him, as we draw near to Him, as, as all these things happen and we grow and we're sanctified, your prayer life is a big part of that. And I think, you know, we're in the middle of this, uh, not in the, in the middle, we're on the tail end now of the 30 days of prayer. And um, I, I told the elders at one of our meetings, I said, you know, even though our 30 days is, 
is about like some future things and building and all that kind of stuff. I almost kind of wonder if that it really doesn't have as much to do with that as it does God teaching us about asking boldly and what it means to really seek Him. And, and almost like, um, I wonder if God is like putting us in a situation of like, okay, just listen today. Just to frustrate us at how hard that is, you know. Maybe, he, maybe He's using all this to sort of like show us some things we need to know about prayer and our prayer lives deepen us. Maybe it doesn't have as much to do with future in a building as it does cultivating something deeper within us in our own personal lives. But we are learning. And hopefully that also um, is impacting our daily lives. The fifth thing that we see, verse 43, um, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Uh, signs and wonders. When you read the book of Acts, you see... Um, People who are born blind receiving their sight. You have folks who are born with uh, physical disabilities and those being healed, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and we know some of these stories, but we don't know what he's even talking about here. We don't know the list of all the signs and wonders that were being done, and people were just in awe constantly of God's power. Um, has this happened at the ring? Uh, yeah, I, I think, yeah, it has. I think that there are... Like, in a holistic sense, we can say that God is performing miracles among us all the time. That there are physical miracles that have happened. There are things that, sh- that, that should not be the case, you know, apart from God's intervention physically. There are emotional miracles that are happening, you know, where, where God is leading people. Sometimes it may seem really slow, but he's leading us out of... Uh, anxiety, out of depression, out of loneliness, out of identity issues, out of um, like our self-worth and understanding of how all that works, that, that there are some of you that are part of this family who thought, who basically were very near to the point of just embracing something about yourself and just being like, this is just how I'm going to be forever. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to change it. And he did. But there are spiritual miracles that have happened even just our own salvation, you know? That we've seen the spiritually blind gain their sight. That we've seen people uh, go from being infants in the Lord to being like, to like, uh, like crawling and then taking a few baby steps and then walking and then running and then training others to do the same. We've seen those things. So is God miraculously at work among us? Absolutely. We share that stuff together and we celebrate those victories and hopefully it gives hope to others who are who are just really begging the Lord to do something miraculous in their lives. Uh, should we be in awe of that? Yeah, we should. There are some things that really should just have our jaws on the ground. That just, I cannot believe God did that. You know. So yeah, it's happened among us and it will continue to. Um, the last thing, verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The sixth thing that Wagner talks about is he, he uses the term outreach. Um, this, this open door for, for everyone, that there was this uh, real awareness of the lost among us, uh, among them. Those who, simply those who do not know Christ and his goodness and his mercy. Um, Those who uh, 
who don't know Him the way that He wants them to, those who are, are hungering and thirsting for, uh, for more to really know Him. Probably the, a, a group of people that live this way together probably got the attention of people around them who were like, why are y'all doing this for each other? Why are, you, why are you this way? And they would say, like, well, this happened and this happened, and Jesus loves you, and, you know, we, you know whatever. And they're like, cool, I want in. And they would come in. And there was this, this constant awareness of, of the fact that it's not, it wasn't just this internal thing, that God was doing things among the family so that the family could go out and bring other people into the family. But they're all holding on to the same truths, but also reaching into the lives around them and bringing them in, bringing them in, bringing them in. So has that happened like for us? Well, absolutely it has. Some of you are here because of that, because someone invited you, someone brought you. Some of you just kind of stumbled in at some point. Some of you Googled us. Like, that's like a thing people do. They go to a new city and they Google a church and they show up and then like, okay, here we are. Like, that literally happens. So in some ways, God brings us people in those kinds of ways, but a lot of it is like we're, we're going and we're living, and um, we have a very wide, wide understanding of what it means for our church to reach into people's lives. It's not about getting them to church. It's just like if you're showing up at work and you're being Jesus, then we're reaching them. And so is outreach, is that a thing to us? Is that an important thing to us? Absolutely. Do we do like block parties and do we canvas neighborhoods and all that kind of stuff? No, we, do, we don't. We haven't felt led to do any of that stuff. We have felt led to get real serious about the fact that God is sending us into people's lives to be salt and to be light. To love them. So have we grown in that? Yes. Will we continue to grow in that? Yes. All these things, all six of these things that, we, that Wagner points out, and there's, there's more. These are all things that, uh, that God has already begun in us. There's no need to start to be like, okay, guys, now we've got we to turn over a new page and start doing some of these things, you know? It's like, no, we have to recognize like he's, he's making us into like, people like this. You know why? Because these weren't superstars. They weren't exceptional. These, these people are not in this, like, the Christian Hall of Fame they're just normal people who let Jesus do with their lives what he wanted to do. To fill them, to empower them, to grow them, to send them. To, they were just obedient people. And that's all we've ever wanted to be. That's just kind of been at the heart from the beginning. It's like we just want to say yes to him, whatever, whatever that means. And so praise God that we can look at this list and we can say, like, yeah, he's done some of these things among us. And, and that gives a lot of hope going forward. I'm grateful that year nine is not like the top of the like, mountain. You know, that's, we're not going to plateau from here on out. That's just going to continue. But it takes everybody being all in. That's the point I made at the beginning. This was all of them doing this, not just a few of them. And so I hope that God is, draw, is like drawing us into... Just every single day, deeper commitment to him, a deeper commitment to one another and what he's wanting to do. Because you know what? At some point he's going to come back and he's gonna let, we're going to live on this new earth for eternity. We're going to have a lot of time to do a lot of things. But this time, this life that we're living in this right now, um, there's a missionary I'm friends with and he, at the bottom of his emails he always says, daylight's burning. I've got to go, daylight's burning, you know. This idea that like there's, we should live with a sense of urgency now, not in a panicky way, but like a, a focus kind of way. So we have a lot of time on the new earth to do a lot of stuff. 
But right now, this is, he's got us on, on mission together. It's internal and it's external. And it's, uh, it's for us and it's for everyone else. Most importantly, it's for God's glory. So as we pray, there's another couple of days in the 30 days of prayer. Um, I think there's a special unity that exists. And so we're going to pray right now. Um, in our last like Sunday night prayer time for 30 days as the band comes back up. So why don't you guys stand together. We're praying this 30 days uh, specifically with some like future things in mind, just asking for God to uh, help us kind of see what is ahead. And um, just, to, just to kind of reiterate some stuff, like we're... We're, there is no problem. Like we're not in trouble. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong. Um, we are simply uh, in a place right now where we really, uh, we, the elders felt and still, of course, feel that uh, this needed to be a corporate asking. That God was, was drawing us out to be more bold and to ask for whatever, for direction, for uh, just a sense of something like, what does the future look like? And it's it could be it could be super wide, you know, um, and so you know there's like a day when we're like praying about a building. Well, okay, we just felt like God was like, hey, you need to ask me for a building. He may he may have said absolutely not, you know. But if we ask him and we get a no from him, it's like cool. We ask, he said no. All right, we can't say we never ask, you know. Um, but there's no, uh, I don't know. We're not panicking. There's no concern for the future. There's no, uh, we're not praying about our future because something is bad. We're praying about our future because there's so much good stuff right now that uh, we just really need to like kind of hunker down and be like, let's be real faithful to ask the Lord to um, to just guide us and direct us that we could really dial in and be sensitive to His leadership going forward. Um, and so, if you want to come and pray, you want to come down here and kneel. Uh, you can you can go ahead and come on down. I'm just going to pray uh, for us and. Um, you can just kind of maybe agree with me and stuff like that if you want to. But um, So we're praying about a future, and one of the things about our future that we know, we know that at no point is our mission and vision change. Uh, that's, never, that's never on the table to make adjustments to or change it. You know, we, we know what he's called us to do. We're asking him for direction and exactly how, like what's the most effective way for us to go about doing that. Um, everything from where, where we're meeting to when we're meeting and uh, our community groups and like how that fits into it, how everything fits into it. We really just we just want him to speak, and we want to just have all of us coming before him with open hands, just saying, "Lord, whatever whatever you tell us to do, the answer is yes." On the front end, and so uh, let me just lead us in a time of prayer, and you can just kind of agree as we go, and then we'll sing a little bit in response, and then we'll we'll eat. God, thank you for. Um, Thank you for your revelation to us of exactly who you are and what you're like and the things that you're about. Thank you for letting us know that you are gracious and compassionate and uh, slow to anger and rich and abounding in love. And Thank you for letting us know that you're the kind of God who welcomes uh, requests. Thank you that you are the the perfect father who um, who is generous and doesn't doesn't withhold from your children. 
that you share out of your abundance with us. And the things that you share are always for our good. Thank you that you're never tricking us, that you're never uh, holding out on us, that you're not manipulating us, that you're not playing games, that you're just our perfect, holy parent. Thank you for blessing our time over the last several weeks of asking and seeking your will. For helping us be in a place where we know that it's good to ask and that you encourage that and that to seek you out it requires diligence but also just a, a readiness to be obedient. And Thank you that you're not the kind of God who uh, is annoyed by our consistent asking but you love it, you welcome it, you encourage it. And so as we, as we come to the last few days I pray God that you help us to be faithful because um, these may be the these may be the most powerful days of the, of the whole month of asking. Pray that you would help us in our effort to listen and to sense your leadership. That uh, that you would give us visions and words or uh, verses or just whatever that you would speak to us in ways that will be collectively used to guide us forward and. God, we're thankful that our our mission and our vision is not uh, confusing. Thank you that we we aren't seeking direction about that stuff, but when it comes to methods and tactics and strategies, we want to be right right in line with you, right on the the page that you have us. Because we know that, uh, that daylight is burning and that you are serious about the mission of your church. To bring light into dark places and to bring streams of water into deserts and to heal and restore that all may know your goodness and your grace and even trusted us with that message. So our desire is not to have a, a mega church or have a famous church or do any, it's not to do anything other than uh, to join you in what you're doing on the earth and just to be obedient. We thank you that our prayers are always heard and you always answer. Even even when you're silent, you're answering. So thank you for empowering our prayers and helping them get off the ground. We look forward to seeing what comes out of this month of prayer and uh, what that's going to look like. And we know that no matter what the details are, uh, our future is secure and uh, solid because of who you are. And as we sing and as we worship and bring some closure to this time together and prepare to go share a meal together, God, just may you and you alone receive the glory. Thank you for these nine years. Thank you for the eight years before that. We're grateful for whatever is ahead and, and, and eternity together to celebrate you. We love you and we, uh, we pray all this in your good name. Amen.